right. Well, did that look like your Thanksgiving family gathering at all? I just a little bit like mine, I got to admit. <laughs> Good morning to you. Great to see you today. You know, we spent the last five weeks talking about the ways God urges us to be wise. <laughs> and uh, why is it that wisdom is so hard to come by? I mean, do we really need these instructions from God, or can't we kind of make things up on our own and make them work? Well, I fear that when we do try things on our own, it often ends in disaster or sometimes, frankly, even worse. And I have proof. I want to read some instructions on labels on consumer goods that you can purchase. Um, And and I know for some of you, this list may be helpful for some good Christmas ideas. You might want to take some notes. Just a little hint there, but uh, you want to pay attention. Now, these instructions are meant to help people use products safely and as intended, But sadly enough, they are a commentary on the decline of the human race as we know it. First of all, on a name brand hair dryer, it says this, do not use while sleeping. Good tip. On a bar of name brand soap, use like regular soap, which would be on some packaged bread pudding. This is helpful. Product will be hot after heating. That one's for your science classes. On the packaging for a name brand iron, a name brand iron, it says, do not iron clothes on body. I was hoping to save some time tomorrow, just kind of get her done and get out the door. On a name brand sleeping aid, love this, may cause drowsiness. Do you think? On a can of peanuts, warning, wait for it, contains nuts. Allergy issues, you know, you got to be clear about these things. On a child Superman costume, it says, wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. It's helpful, parents. Make note if you're going to buy a costume. And finally, on a name brand chainsaw fitting with the, the land that we live in here, us chainsaw users, it says, on a name brand chainsaw, do not attempt to stop chain with your hands. So, yeah, I know. And they actually print that on there, just a helpful tip. So, um... You know, you know after, after hearing those examples of human wisdom in action, I think it's pretty clear that we really do need God's wisdom, don't we? Right there, something to kind of help us along the way. And so these are really God's ongoing instructions and encouragements to be wise um, in our lives. And they go a little deeper than the list that we just read, fortunately. So today, as we move into our topic of being wise with our character, I'll ask you, you can pull out your outline if you want to from your program, if you want to take some notes and follow along. And, uh, and as you're doing that, let me ask you a question. Do you want to make a difference with your life? Do you want to impact the world in a significant, lasting way? Wouldn't you like to leave a legacy that lasts, maybe for generations in a significant way, that, that outlives you perhaps for generations? Well, that sounds pretty good to most of us, I think. You know, as long as we're here, we might as well do something that matters, right? And, and leave, make an impact and leave a, leave a legacy. But how do you do that? Well, there are a couple of different perspectives on this. First of all, our culture says, as it says in your outline, you can leave a legacy, our culture says, by being rich and famous. That's what we should do. And that seems to be the pursuit of our world, at least here in the West. And it's, it's pushed on us almost, you know, make a lot of money, do something important, get famous, so all of that so that you can make more money. And that's kind of what it's about. Then you really leave a legacy then by being rich and famous. Only when was the last time that you uh, were at the bedside of someone who was nearing the end of their death, excuse me, the end of their life, and they shook their head, regretting that they didn't work a little harder and longer to get just a bit more rich and famous? Ah, if only. 
And when was the last time you attended a memorial service for someone when the people talked about how much money the deceased person had made, had made and, and how famous they were? Instead, people talk about what? They talk about the kind of person, the kind of character the person had. Were they compassionate? Maybe they were honest. Maybe they were very loving. What we find is that while in life, we find ourselves kind of joining with the world and pursuing money and fame, and then when we're at the end of our lives, we kind of change our values significantly, and they end up moving towards God's view on this. Maybe, just maybe, we need to reverse that and discover right now and establish what's important is what we will find is important at the end of our lives. God's values, God's view on this is this. God says, leave a legacy with your godly character. Leave a legacy with your godly character. Now, God knows that we impact others in a far more lasting way with our character than we do with our money and fame. I mean, money can buy a certain amount of popularity, and I'd call it casual friendship, and it can buy some fun stuff. I mean, honestly, it can, but it doesn't impact deeply the way your character does. And it says, it says there in Proverbs chapter 22, it says, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. God speaks the truth about life that we sometimes only find out about at or near death. Who we are is way more important than what we accomplish, the money we earn, the fame that we gain in a sense, the notoriety, you know, the things we accomplish in our professional, our busy lives. So today we want to see how we can be wise with our character, and we want to see how we can make a difference in the world by living with godly character that's spoken about in the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bible with you, we'll be jumping around in different places in Proverbs if you want to do that. The verses are in your outline as well and will also appear on the screens. But again, how can I make a difference in the world? First way on your outline, I can make a difference in the world by speaking honestly. By speaking honestly. Now our words, you know, the things that come out of our mouth, they're a huge way that our inner character is seen. And we talked about words quite a bit a few weeks ago. But for today's purposes of looking at our character, we're seeing that specifically honest words are a huge deal. Okay? Now, how many of you today would call yourself a pathological liar? Raise your hands. See, those of you that raised your hands, I, I don't know what to do with you, because if you were a pathological liar, you actually wouldn't raise your hand, would you? So the ones you want to be concerned about are the ones that didn't raise their hands. I just thought I'd clarify that. And this man is simply a liar, whoever raised his hand. I couldn't call him pathological. Well, most of us would probably say, just making sure you're awake on a Thanksgiving weekend as the turkey totally gotten out of your system. Most of us would probably say that we don't lie very much at all. And if we ever do lie, it would only be kind of a little white lie for a good purpose, right? Only when you think about it, little white lies are still lies, aren't they? Good. They're lies, aren't they? And I ask you this, have you ever told what we would call a white lie? And even that term's kind of strange, isn't it? It's a white, a white lie. But have you ever told a white lie and it's come back to bite you? You know, oops, I thought it was going to be a nice thing, but oh boy, it came... Number of times, huh? In Proverbs 25, 18 and 19 says, just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon. <laughs> Stop and picture that for a second. Okay? Just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was only joking. <laughs> ha, good joke, you lied to me. That is never the response you're going to get from somebody in that situation, right? A lie usually hits us hard, just like this proverb says, like a madman shooting a deadly weapon. You think about it, a madman probably doesn't care a whole lot about what destruction he causes or who he hurts or, or where he's aiming, you know, how much he's shooting. 
But our little white lies and non-truths can cause that much damage. And most of us, most of us aren't mad. Now is not a good time to look at your spouse, okay? That's, that's not good timing on that. But most of us don't have the excuse of, well, I was insane at the time. Another way we sometimes lie, I'll text you later, I'll call you later. Well, I did say later, I just didn't say when or how much later. Or How about this one? This is, this is for us churchgoers, followers of Jesus. I will pray for you every day. Ever done that one and then maybe not prayed every day or very much at all, if ever? Starting to squirm a little bit. As I put the message together, I was a little squirmy in my chair. <laughs> you know, because all four of these points we're going to talk about today were kind of like, oh boy. Proverbs 25, 14 will help us with this one. It says, a person who promises a gift, a thing like prayer or a call or a touch or who knows what, but doesn't give it is like clouds and wind that brings no rain. You find yourself in a time in a barren region of the biblical area. It's like, man, we need rain. We need, oh, great, here comes the wind. Here comes the call. Oh, good, we're going to get that rain. Oops, there it went. And the disappointment that follows is significant. Folks, this proverb is saying, this proverb is saying that disappointment of someone not following through with their words can be that destructive. And, and the reality here is that we're going to lose our chance to impact those people, that person, for the short term and in the long term. Because if you aren't impacting them here and now immediately, it's certainly not going to be a lasting impact, is it? So we can make a difference by speaking honestly and really saying, you know what, I'm going to commit to doing this. Secondly, if I can make a difference in the world by serving diligently, by serving diligently, I didn't say any of these ways were easy, by the way. I just want to be up front. It's character. It's worth it, though, right? If we want to have character that makes a difference, we need to choose to serve others. And that means putting others above ourselves sometimes and maybe even a lot of times. Okay? Did you hear that? How comfortable are you? Putting others above yourself, ahead of yourself. The key here is putting others first and choosing to serve them, serve them whether you feel like doing it or not, whether the timing is good or not, whether the situation is good or not. Again, it needs to go beyond your feelings, and that's the great mark of character. Well, let's see what the Proverbs say. In Proverbs, Proverbs 3, it says this. It says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, Come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. God is calling us to serve others whenever we can, and that's the diligence part of this equation. I didn't just say, you know, you can develop character by serving sporadically, <laughs> serving a little bit now and then when it fits. It's serving diligently. Not just occasionally, you know, if we do it occasionally so you can feel like you did a good deed and you earned some brownie points, serve diligently and, and do it now. Not tomorrow, not later, you know, when it's more convenient for you. If the need is now and you can help the need, then serve. Because that's a mark of godly character. And serving others diligently has a great impact on them and the world, which is what we want, right? We kind of said that's what we started. We want to impact. I want to make a difference. But for many of us, the truth is we actually have to plan to serve and to do those good, helpful things. If we wait for it to happen naturally, you know, we'll blow right past the opportunity. I know that's true for me. Uh, that's what I can do typically. And so you almost, you almost have to make plans to serve and help. Because as I plan to say, I want to be a servant. I want to look for places to help. I just didn't get any chances. If you're looking for places to serve, I've got to tell you, they're all around you all the time. And so as I make plans to say, I'm gonna, I want to learn to do this, I want to develop this attitude, then I can be ready to serve when that time appears. 
And Proverbs speaks to that too in Proverbs 14. It says, if you plan to do evil, you will be lost. But if you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. Uh, Not only will you do something good, but you'll actually get something back. It says, plan for it, and it will happen. And the impact on others, it's going to be big. And you'll also receive unfailing love and faithfulness from the people around you as you plan and you actually then do good. That's the beginning of leaving that legacy that we want to leave. Now, when it comes to the idea of serving, I think, we, I think we often want to serve God. I mean, wherever you are with God in your relationship, I don't know God, I think God's somewhere out there, or personal God, whatever that it is, like serving God, well, yeah, I could get behind that. That, that could be cool. I mean, if Jesus were to come to Twin Cities Church today, would any of you be willing to get him a mocha or an espresso or whatever he might prefer from the coffee bar, right? And he'd take his bunch of hands going up. In fact, you would be fighting each other to have that privilege to get Jesus, you know, yay, sweet, I get to bring Jesus his latte, that was really cool. I love that. I'd, I'd do it again next week. You know, we'd, we'd be really excited about that because it's Jesus after all. We'd love to serve Jesus, but things get a whole lot tougher for us when it comes to serving other people, right? Those other people, they are definitely not Jesus. And we can see that in so many ways and forms. And we're not always sure they're worth the same effort. Hmm. Although, Jesus said that whatever we do for the least of the people in this world, it's the same as serving Jesus himself. I don't know how often Jesus is going to come in the form of man, bodily form, to Twin Cities Church to be able to do something for him. But I see a whole lot of people around us that we could do something for. And serving somebody is the same as serving Jesus. Maybe the harder it is to serve, the more you're serving Jesus. That's what Jesus says. It's not always easy, though. I mean, what goes through my mind is, you know, if I serve other people, especially if I do it a lot, well, who's going to look out for me? I mean, what about me? How do you measure where you stand with this? How do I do? How am I doing? How do you measure how well you do at serving others with diligence? And here's one way. Ask the question this. How do I react when others treat me as a servant? How do I react? You see, your reaction will be a measurement of your character in this area. And I know for me, this is one that I went, oh, you know, and I kind of develop in the talk because, you know, I, I enjoy servants sometimes on my terms, but, oh, it makes me feel good, and I know it's a good thing and stuff, but if you start treating me like a servant, then I kind of like, hey, put me down, and I'm like, if I'm a servant, why is it so hard to be treated like a servant? Jesus said, I came to the world to, not to be served, but to serve. If I want to be like Jesus, I sh- should be a servant. And Is it really so bad maybe to even be treated like that from time to time? Good measurement. It was kind of an out for me. See how that fits for you. Third, to make a difference in the world, I can do that by sharing generously. By sharing generously. By the way, if we went through the first two and you didn't have one already hit your heart, hello, <laughs> kind of, you know, good for you if that's the case, but these are not easy things. So I just want to connect with that as Lord kind of prompts us. Sharing generously. We know how hard it is for kids to share, right? You know, as Christmas time comes up, here comes the whole kid world, and of course Christmas is all of us. But, but for kids to share, that's tough. That whole mine, mine mentality is going full throttle, you know, as a hand clenches so tightly on whatever object of passion, you know, that's in question. Share, yeah, right, like maybe a year from now after my toy's broken and I've moved on, you know. Sometimes my kids get to crack up, you know. Well, can they use your toy after you go to sleep? No, you know, you're sleeping, you won't even know. Doesn't matter, okay. You know. We can see that what kids battle with isn't always a victory for us as adults, is it? 
is it? You know, we may loan some of our stuff out to others, certain people at certain things at certain times, at least occasionally. But sharing means giving too, not just loaning a tool to a trusted neighbor who guarantees you they'll bring it back in exactly one and a half hours or whatever, right? It involves giving. And, and are you able to share and to give generously and not begrudgingly? Proverbs 11.25, it says, The generous will prosper. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, I love how this verse ties this generosity to refreshing others and kind of links it into one sort of a concept. You know, not every kind of giving refreshes others. Some of it honestly just makes us feel good. Yeah, I gave, you know, I shared. I'm pretty good, you know, and it makes us feel better. But, but giving from your heart to a true need at a key time Oh, that can bring refreshment to that person in need, and, and that can bring then refreshment to you, too. Like, yeah, that, that was significant. That didn't just feel good for me. That actually helped. It was a good thing. Yeah, win-win. We have a Christmas tree in the lobby. If, among all the other opportunities to serve and give over the holidays um, here over Christmas time, that allows you to take a family, a local family, anonymously, where you can put together a, a food basket primarily. They're getting presents from other sources, but mostly food and maybe some little you know, goodies in the process. Well, my family, a couple weeks ago, my wife took my kids over to the tree, and they picked a family out from the Christmas tree, and, and we get to prepare a Christmas food and goodies basket for them. Now, we could have grabbed a family of three and still help, because there's some families of three and four that, that need help, and that would have been just fine. But um, good for my wife. You know, we want to see... We want to help our kids see the value of generosity. And since we're a family of seven, we thought we could impact another large family. So we got a family of six <laughs> that we get to prepare a big, good, golly, Miss Molly food basket for and stuff like that. Yay, honey, good choice on that. And you know what? We get to get our kids together and say, we get to be generous. We get to go out and, and buy things that, what would be some cool things to give them for the holidays? What are some things that you like that we could put in here? Refreshing them brings refreshment to us. Uh, but when it comes to being generous, we're not just talking about being generous with your resources. Because I know that some of us have very limited resources right now. You say, John, this concept of generosity sounds good. I, I don't have anything. I mean, I got nothing. You know, or I got a buck, but, you know, I need to take the bus home or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, you just don't have anything. And I know that's true for some of us, but God still wants you to develop the character that impacts the world. Well, so I just, I can't develop my character in this area? because I don't have something tangible to give? Well, you do have something to give and to share. You can also be generous and give to others with things like your words, your encouragement, and your praise, and your positive attitude, what you are like around people and what you speak into their lives. We see this wonderful verse uh, coming up here on Proverbs. <laughs> I'll read it out of my outline. Proverbs 17, it says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Now, all of us can impact our world by having a cheerful heart, you know, and what does that cost us? I mean, some effort, perhaps, and some refocus, but helping lift others up in positive praise and even prayer is needed because that can be just a wonderful thing. But a cheerful heart, you can be good medicine to people around you, and you can share that, and you can give that generously. And I'm not suggesting that you become that kind of person who, who um, gives all kinds of nonstop flattery. Have you ever known somebody like that? I had a buddy down in Southern California before we moved up here age, ages ago who just, and it just seemed like he was all the time going, oh, yeah, I know you to man, in a sense. It just always, oh, just so much praise. It was just like nonsense. It didn't mean anything because everybody was all time, everything, champion of everything all the time. And you're finally like, okay, mm, you're not really saying anything here. 
I didn't ever tell him that, but that's kind of how that came across in, in the process. So that's not what we're suggesting because people can see through that false praise. But here's the deal. God, that isn't good medicine for people that hear it. But authentic cheer delivered from the heart to another person's heart, strategic words, strategic encouragement says that I see that I can help you by speaking this bit of truth or this bit of encouragement to your life. Oh, that can be great, great medicine. That's good medicine to others and to you. So you can share generously and develop that part of your character, whether you own very much or not, huh? God calls us to do that. Well, fourth, I can make a difference in the world by living humbly, by living humbly. You see, in a world that pushes performance as much as, as, much as ours does, it's, it's so easy to fall into an attitude of, of, well, of pride in whatever we're good at because it's, it's good to be good at some things if not good at a lot of things, right? You know, so we end up getting prideful about something. Yeah, you know, it's, it's professional issues, what you do for a living, or, or maybe it's a hobby or sports or even just knowledge and trivia, but something there. Soon we're kind of strutting around acting like the expert with our words and attitudes. Yeah, come talk to me about, you know, whatever. Now, I think us guys struggle with this a lot, maybe more than you women, quite honestly. And I know that I can mess up in this area sometimes a lot. Just ask my wife, you know, gosh, you act like you know so much about so much. But catch this, you guys, especially men, but women, you're free to listen to. I'm sure it's a struggle for you. The issue isn't whether or not you are an actual expert, okay? It's not how much do you know or how good you are. The issue is not that. It's the, it's the attitude of pride that comes up. Because when pride comes from your knowledge, your expertise, or, or your own feelings about expertise, you end up push it, putting people down. And that's, in, that, that's the result of it. You put people down, it makes them feel small, and it only impacts the world in a negative way. And that's not the way we wanted to impact them, right? If we go back to the beginning, that's not, what, that's not what we're after. And that's not the impact that God desires us to have with our godly character. You know, the Bible is full of warnings about pride telling us again and again and again how destructive it is, and, and there are many Proverbs that join right in on that pride commentary. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three says, Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. Honor for you and honor for those around you comes through humility, while pride only brings people down, and ultimately the person who's acting in pride ends up in humiliation, whether it's immediately or long-term down the way. Pride can be just a horrible thing. Now, so who do you like to be around more, and who do you respect more, a, a modest, humble person or a bragger? Let's say they're both equally good at what they do. Would you rather be around the modest person or the bragger? Modest person, huh? Who do you respect more? The modest person. I was at the turkey trot over on Thanksgiving. A bunch, saw a bunch of you there. That was awesome. Four from my family ran, and I got to wave. I'm still getting over a little injury here. But um, I talked to a couple of national class runners that I know from our expanded community. And um, one particular gentleman made sure he reminded me how fast he was. And then he would go back at certain ages, decades past when, I mean, this guy is blazing fast, but he made sure he reminded me how fast he was. I was, all right, thanks for telling me that. You know, that's great. This other runner over here coming off of multiple surgeries and multiple injuries, national class runner, and I bumped into him and been a little while. Hey, and how you doing? Whatever, and we're just chatting. And this is before the race. I said, so how's, the, how's it going? He says, you know, doing the best I can with what I got, you know. So it's probably as good as it's going to get, you know, and as he gets a little older, you know, it's going to go downhill from here, but just kind of hanging in there and doing the best. 
by the way, this guy won the 10K race in under 35 minutes, you know what I mean? So, so but this guy, this, is, this marks this guy. He lives in Reno. This, this marks this runner. He's a, a good friend of mine. I say good. We're not all that close. I mean, we, you know, email and stuff like that. He lives up in Reno. But how different? Two national class runners, both of them really, really fast. And this guy's just, that's just him. You'd never know that this is, this guy's blowing the doors off the 20-year-olds in the race. You know what I mean? Just crazy fast, but just so humble. I'm like, I want to hang with this guy. You know what I mean? That's just, just what I want to do. That, that's the way that it is. There's refreshment in humility there. Well, how do I do with pride? How do I do with, with humility? How do I measure that? One little test is you can see how you respond to other people's compliments and praise. How do you respond when other people give you some good input? Do you get puffed up or do you handle it in a godly, humble way? I mean, it's tough. It's tough when people, and even as a pastor afterwards, you know, good message or whatever. Yeah, that was pretty good, wasn't it? (laughs) You know, hello. You know, so it's a wrestle for all of us, you know, and what you do, and, and maybe you do a good job. The issue isn't did you do a good job, but what happened internally as a result. And Proverbs 27, 21 says, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, right? Heats it up and we see how pure it is, but a person is tested by being praised. It doesn't feel like fire, it feels good, right? That praise, yeah, but it's fire. The fire's saying, let's see what's in that heart of yours. Let's see what comes out. Let's see what godly character is there. If we want to impact the world in a lasting way with our character, we need to really strive to live humbly and not fall to the destructive trap of pride. So we've talked about four ways we can impact the world with our character, and they are four great things. But but how do we actually develop that character? Like, those those are wonderful, but how do I get there? I want to take a look at three key ways, one super huge way and then two follow-ups if I can here. First of all, how do we develop that character? Number one, we need to let Jesus live in and through us. Let Jesus live in and through us. Now, we've been looking at Proverbs for wisdom, but many hundreds of years after the Proverbs were written, Jesus came to our world. God in the form of man, and and he came and lived this perfect life and sacrificed his life on the cross and rose from the dead and did all that so that he could give us the grace and the power and the freedom to actually accomplish the things that God desires from us. He says, you can't do it on your own. Without Jesus, we simply struggle on our own to make a difference, and we work harder and harder and harder only to fall again and again and again, to get back up and try harder, and the cycle goes on. You just can't do it on your own. You know what? And even if for a little bit of time it starts going pretty well, you know, any amount of short-term success you experience, it just leads to that pride issue that we talked about. Hey, I am doing pretty good. You know what I mean? Down we go with the pride. Jesus has the answer, and it's pretty simple, actually. Instead of just trying harder on your own to make these four things happen, I'm going to speak honestly, I'm going to do all these things that we just talked about. It's pretty simple there. Instead of just trying harder, ask Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of all your failures and your sins. Ask him to live in you. That's where it starts. In John chapter 10, 9 and 10, Jesus speaking and he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is freedom and safety and salvation. He says, um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I love that word abundantly. Because if you had a big Thanksgiving meal, that was abundantly. Now, you didn't have to eat as much as you did. But that was a lot of food if you were at a table with a lot of food, right? That abundance of He says, I, wait to, I don't want to give you just a puny little sometimes life. I, gave you, I want to give you this full life. 
I bring you forgiveness and freedom, he says, and he, he offers this abundant full life that will change you from the inside. But here's the deal. He doesn't want to just live in you and just kind of passively be there, kind of hanging out. He wants to live through you too. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. When Jesus came into me, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, he lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who lived, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus came in to live inside, and it's no longer I that live. It's Christ that lives in and through me. It's Jesus who does the work. Jesus lives in and through. And all of a sudden, I'm not trying to change my character on my own. How did I do today? I'm not trying to show my own character. I need to see my character. Jesus develops and demonstrates his character in and through me. And all I have to do is get out of the way. <laughs> and that's the tough part, honestly, sometimes. That's the tough part. Letting God's gift of grace do the work instead of pushing so hard yourself. You know, just get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do in your life and through your life. Oh, let go. Well, after letting Jesus live in and through us, there are a few helpful things to keep in mind. That's by far the most important. That kind of just lays the whole foundation. But a couple other little tips as we close today. The next thing I want to mention to develop people of good character, to be a person of good character, hang out with those of good character. Hang out with those of good character. You make that decision. This is a simple truth that we need to acknowledge about life. You become like the people you spend time with. Okay, so it's important for you to watch who you hang out with. <laughs> Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. <laughs> Simple enough. It's just right there. You become like you hang out with. So as you say, man, I'm working on my character. I'm letting Jesus live in and through me and whatever, but I'm going to hang out with these people because it's lots of fun or whatever through the process. You're going to become like who you spend significant time with. doesn't mean that you can't have friendships with people that don't know Jesus. In fact, Jesus wants you to do that because you want to draw them to the Lord. But who you hang out with, who you're spending your time with, you're going to become like that. It's that simple. If you want to be wise, you need to have Jesus living in through you, and then you need to spend time with others who are wise. Making bad choices who you hang with, and they will pull you down every time. And finally this, choose the best way over the easy way. Choose the best way over the easy way. Now, that goes against human nature, and, and again, that's why we need Jesus living in and through us to help us, right? To help us go against our human nature, because that's what comes. See, as humans, we default to taking the easy way out because it's easier. <laughs> it's just there, isn't it? You know, I kind of take the easy way out because, well, it's just easier. You know, why work when you don't have to? You know, why, why push to find the best way when the easy way is right in front of us, easy to grab, easy to see, easy to use, just easy, easy, easy. It's the, even the easy button right? The easy button is good. It's big and easy to find. I just punch it. But Jesus leads us to choose the best way over the easy way, as the easy way too often leads to regret. And Proverbs 16.25 points it out in just a very pointed way. It says, there is a path before each person that seems right. <laughs> it seemed easy enough, but in the end, but it ends in death. There was this way before me that looked so easy, and, and God's calling us to, to, to don't just look at how easy it is. Look at where you want to go. But this is a nice, easy path. Yeah, but where does it lead? Is that the best way? Is that the way that's going to get you where you want to go? To us, the easy way may seem right, but don't fall for it. Jesus talked about looking for the narrow path in life, 
Um, and, and then following the narrow path, not the wide, easy path. He said, there's this wide path that's so easy. Everybody's on it. He says, that's, that's not it because it leads to destruction. He says, I'm going to help you find the, the narrow path and I'm going to help you stay on the narrow path. I'm going to light it up for you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be with you. This is the one that's going to lead you where, where you want to go. This is the best way. So to develop good character, there's going to be a time when you're going to say, I'm going to choose the best way over the, the easy way. I didn't say choose the hard way. I had someone after first service come up to me and say, I always find myself choosing the hard way almost on purpose just because I you know, have some issues. and stuff. And that, that, that's not the point. By the way, sometimes the best way is an easy way. Asking Jesus into your heart is the best start. And boy, is that easy in one sense, right? Choosing the best way over the easy way is the way that Jesus wants it done and the way we can help develop that godly character. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for the chance that we had today to talk about tough subject, Lord. Um, this is not easy, uh, character. Because it's, it, it's not just a little part of our lives. It's our entire lives. It's who we are, Father. Uh, this, it's our heart revealed through our words, revealed through our actions. Uh, Lord, so I, I just pray that you would speak to us. You would touch us, lead us in this way of character because we do want to have a lasting significance. But God, I pray that you wouldn't push, push us, or rather I pray that we wouldn't see this as we need to work harder, but that we would truly rely on you and your Holy Spirit. Because we need your character to shine through. Maybe you're here today and you've heard this and it sounds interesting, but you haven't yet asked Jesus into your heart. You haven't yielded your life to him. You haven't given up in a sense and invited Jesus into your life. And he wants to do that even today, right where you're at. And it is an easy thing. It might be hard to, in a sense, give up and, and, and let him do his work. But in terms of the easiness of it, it's simply saying, okay, in a sense, I give up. You're saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. And I believe you can give me forgiveness. So forgive me. Ask his forgiveness. And then ask him to lead your life, to lead you in the best way. And he promises to do that, to give you that full life and eternal life. And that can begin today if you choose to make that decision. God, thank you for loving us, for putting up with us through all our failures, for loving us through it all. In Jesus' name, amen.